WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week, our guests are the co creators of the IDW series Canto, uh, the latest chapter of which, Canto in the City of Giants, is out now. It's David Boer and Drew Zucker. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having us. So uh, we'll start with the icebreaker for first time guests. Uh, what are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Drew, you want to take this one first? Uh, it, for me, it was uh, Star Wars Dark Empire. Was mm-hmm. the uh, I would go into Barnes and Noble, and graphic novels were always kind of out of bounds for me because of the price, mm-hmm. and my parents couldn't understand spending twenty bucks on a comic. Uh, but I was raised on plenty of single issues, so in particular, the stuff I really remember is. Uh, Clone Saga. Uh, I had a lot of John Romita Jr. books growing up, but that that was really it, it was a lot of comics. I wasn't a big comic reader, but it was all like it was ancillary stuff. Like it was always on the periphery. It was never reading anything consistently. It was just reading reading what was given to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me, I never really um, I didn't grow up reading comic books. What I what I grew up with were the Sunday Funnies. So I remember reading those. So my idea of um, comics was four panels set up in punch, which is kind of fun. And then I um, graduated to a, I had a subscription to Mad Magazine when I was little. And they came, I just remember this, they came to your house as a subscription with a brown cover on it. You could open it when it comes (laughs) in the mailbox, but it had a brown cover to protect the, the inside glossy cover. And the brown covers actually had extra artwork on it. So those were always the coolest thing to have a whole stack of just these brown covers. They're like paper bags Mm -hmm. um, material. And then uh, I, Mad Mad Magazine and Everett Farside, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And then the first comic I actually remember that really stuck in my my head was um, Lock and Key. And I was, well, well into adulthood, as you can tell from the gray hairs, <laughs> much older than childhood when I read that. But that's kind of, you might ask, ask us about our influences. And that was kind of the first comic that I read that really um, demonstrated to me the possibilities for storytelling mm-hmm. in comics beyond superheroes. I just never had an idea until I read that one. It's funny, I like asking this question and when the guests say something, and being able to look at Matt and watch his face perk up. And it happened twice in this opening segment between Lock and Key and the, and the, uh, the Star Wars comics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- this is coming out, be- we're recording this before it drops, but it will be dropping after I read Lock and Key Sandman for a review yesterday. And You read it? Mm-hmm. It's real good. This interview is over (laughs) (laughs) it's coming out in two days and it is real good is it well i follow i follow joe hill and gabe rodriguez on uh twitter you know on the social medias and Mm -hmm. gabe is post always posting uh work in progress artwork in progress which is wonderful to see but then sometimes he'll post editorial comments about how amazing joe's scripts are and i just um, Drew posts editorial comments about 
my scripts too, but they're de- they're they're a little bit they're a little bit different. <laughs> Why is he doing this to me? <laughs> ah, I have to draw horses again. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but horses. Double page spread. Horses. <laughs> I'm proud of horses. You think there's people in there? No, Drew. Horses. Just horses. You've so, never uh, drawn a horse, have you, <laughs> Drew? I spent a whole book drawing horses before I knew you. I <laughs> see oh, so an expert. All right, Canto in the uh, horses aren't bad. Canto in the Society of Horses. Canto, <laughs> done. We're doing horses it. coming in 2022. Canto. He's made of horses. <laughs> oh, man. He's not full of squirrels. It's just a bunch of squirrels and little steampunk squirrels with their little goggles, just pulling levers and ropes and doing the gears and everything. Uh, spoiler alert: Canto's just full of orphans. It's just a bunch of orphan kids that live in Canto and they pull levers to get soup. <laughs> Please, Sam, I have some more. Just yeah. put it in the grill. Just put it in the grill. It's, it's the end of Snowpiercer. It's the little kids dying inside the machine. That, oh, my it. God. It's an all-ages book. Just let me clarify that for the audience. It's an all-ages book. The kid is made out of nothing but um, rainbows and hearts and butterflies and well, at little least emojis. Left of them. <laughs> yeah. And a clock. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so we're, we're here to talk about Canto, the, uh, the fantasy series that uh, you created at IDW. Uh, for listeners who are unfamiliar, it's about a member of this race of small creatures who have been enslaved, and uh, their, their hearts are replaced with clocks, and they all wear knight's armor, and one among them goes on a quest to attempt to free them uh, by discerning their origins. And uh, the first volume was released in 2019. Uh, since then, there's been a sequel series, some accompanying one-shots and, and uh, side quest minis. Uh, the most recent story, Canto and the City of Giants, launches this week as we're recording. Uh, we'll have come out by the time this airs uh, with more to come after that. But uh, let's let's start at the beginning. Uh, you know, what was the origin of, of Canto, uh, the, the series? <laughs> well, as you said, we we kidnapped a bunch of orphans and then dressed them up. <laughs> Just kidding. So I wanted to, I wanted to work with you before we put together Canto and he wasn't available when I reached out to him originally. And then he became available. He was working on this great uh, previous book. Drew, you can tell him about, about it, the house. Uh, and they became available and he sent me an email and the email had an attachment. And what, are the atta- what was the attachment, Drew? Uh, it was a drawing of what would become Canto. Um, I had done it as, a, as basically a challenge to myself to see if I could do a more all-ages, uh, call it commercially viable character design, because it, it, it's not in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, all I did was horror. So... I did it and I had this basic idea for a story, which was Dante's Inferno meets Wizard of Oz, effectively. And I had a paragraph of what the base of the idea should be. Uh, And that's what I sent to David and it turns out David's a huge Wizard of Oz fan. So having a much larger knowledge of it than I ever had, he kind of, molded it into a more I, I refer to it as 
Inferno, it was originally built to actually be like a level structure, like Inferno. He sort of flipped it so that the level structure just now runs horizontally and includes more odd stuff. That, that's the best way I can describe it. So instead of going up and down, it's just side to side. Um, but that's really where Canto came from. I mean, I, I did the drawing and it sat in, it, it sat in a drawer for years before uh, it ever, before we ever did anything with it. Yeah, and from, you know, when I got it, I, I, I love the visual. I threw out everything that he wrote down. I'm like, mm-mm. <laughs> so, so just ran with the idea, but as soon as I saw um, the design, it took me about half a second to look at this to say, I don't know who this character is. I don't know what his story is, but I know that we're gonna tell it. And you can see right behind me, um, I mean, it's just so visually striking. And I knew as soon as I saw it, I'm like, this is the kind of thing that people look at. It's like a Baby Yoda, uh, Grogu type, you know, you just, I watch um, Mandalorian. And every time Grogu comes on the screen, I just think to myself, if anything happens to this little character, I'm going to flip a table. And I just wanted that, I wanted to evoke that you know, I wanted to create a, a, a character that other people would feel that way. I don't know if we've gotten there, but I know, I know I'm going to fight to the death to make sure that Kanto, um, you know, stays safe. And so as soon as I saw the drawing, I knew that we were going to do this. And throughout the long, pro what was it? Uh, probably a year before we even signed the contract with IDW. <clears throat> I knew through that whole process, I, was, I, I knew as soon as, I knew if nobody came in and wanted to publish it, that we were gonna, we were gonna publish it ourselves. Cause we just believed in this story and believed in this character so much that it was gonna make it into the world, no matter what we had to do um, to make that happen. And we ended up getting very lucky that we had um, interest in the 90W eventually we landed with them. And um, you know, they sort of, we've, we've run with it from there. Um. How did you two connect originally, you know, long before the, the Canto drawing got into your inbox? Old email. <laughs> I think that's the social medias, right? Yeah. I mean, I was following It was, it was a cold media. email. Yeah. And then I, and then I emailed him because it was a short um, mm -hmm. for an anthology that I wanted him to work on. And I, you know, just completely insulted that he emailed back and said he was too busy. And so then eventually I came back to him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I was just very happy to get the second opportunity. That's the, you know, any creators out there, if you're listening, don't give up. You, I've made loads of with. enemies. I've made loads of enemies in my time on Canto because I've had to reject every other offer that's come in. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Canto debuted in 2019 and has been published uh, nearly consistently since then, uh, except for that few months period when no one was publishing, obviously. Uh, but, you know, you've got stories planned into at least next year. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you managed the, uh, the pandemic pause? Because I think like the first volume wrapped, you know, beforehand and the trade came out like right as things were, were shutting down, you know, did you know you had more stories coming? Did, you know, were you able to use that time to kind of flesh out the rest of the world? Yeah, so um, you mentioned the trade from the first, the first six issues. It came out on, uh, I think, March 26th. 
which mm -hmm. was just about the time when everything it was like um indiana jones it, it, in the wall it was the the last, hat. yeah <laughs> it, it was the last ship day for for diamond it was it was the last uh part of the last batch so we slipped it right under those closing doors um i'm sure we got cut off with some some later shippings and shipping and that sort of thing mm -hmm. um we just kept working to be honest with you it all shut down we were all anxious and stressed out and you know, we didn't know what was going to happen, but we kept working and thank goodness we kept working because we definitely got a call a few months later or an email a few months later that said, you guys ready to go in <laughs> August? Canto 2? We said, no, but yes. <laughs> and so we did it. I mean, it was, it's, it was a time crunch and we're, you know, under the similar type of time crunch now. Mm -hmm. um, just making sure to get everything out there on time. But the pause gave us time to work and, you know, make art, make issues so that when we were ready to hit the ground running, we could do that. Um, so uh, IEW, uh, you know, uh, as a publisher, obviously, you know, a lot of licensed properties there, Transformers, My Little Pony, Sonic, et cetera. Um, how do you, you know, what do you do to kind of get yourself noticed in that mix of, of what, you know, what is already familiar? And also, how do you use that to your advantage being part of that, you know, publishing house? The honest answer is we invest a lot of our own money into it. Mm -hmm. We, we don't, yeah, it's time and money. The reality of it is that IDW has properties that are more important than us. They're worth more than us. And they're, you know, despite what anyone thinks, these companies are not big companies and they're only so many hours in the day. They have to honor those, those books and those contracts. That sucks for us, but ultimately we made the decision early on. All right, we, we get it. You know, it's not what we want to hear, but what we did was we went and found somebody who could be that voice for us. And we've been lucky that we've had two publicists who have not only been believed in the book, but they've been a good fit for the book in understanding how to market it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what really went a long way for us was that we were able to use all the IDW assets that we could possibly need because they basically said, Oh, you're going to take this off our plate. Do go, go do it. <laughs> and as long as we weren't doing anything inappropriate with it, they were relatively okay with us, you know, using that. And it, it's really what kind of helped us out was bringing in somebody where they don't, they're not obligated to deal with that, you know, a hundred million dollar property. Mm. Instead they can just focus on us. It helped too to create a book that looks very that fits very nicely into the Hasbro lineup. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I think that was the sweet spot where we ended up landing with Kanto. Was it a it was a creator owned book, but it sure felt like it fit into that world of Transformers and My Little Pony and Sonic and you know um, GI Joe and mm -hmm. TMNT and all these you know nostalgic things that uh, that readers loved. And so to bridge that gap between the licensed and the creator owns, but also have a book that sort of lives in both spaces, I think it became a perfect fit for IDW or it wasn't too much. I know they've tried to, you know, they've launched some other creator owned series and titles and, <clears throat> you know, Usagi, Ojimbo, uh, Lock and Key, 
And I feel like Canto now has sort of that they've become the successes for them. And I think for both Usagi, it's, you know, such a history and lock Mm -hmm. and key, the creative team. And you just look at that book and you just fall in love. And I think for us, um, it's, it's the, uh, it's the comfort that readers feel that it's a new story, Mm -hmm. but it's also something that feels familiar to them. And so we've kind of found some way blindly flailing in the dark (laughs) to to find that niche and get there. It it helps also that we kind of came in at a really, we we hit at the perfect moment for them. Um, They weren't doing creator own really. Uh, Canto was part of a small wave that came in. It Mm -hmm. was if I'm not mistaken, it was the first one of the wave to kind of make it out. And at the time, I mean, you know, Lock and Key is still very popular, but Lock and Key had been out of, you know, new, new books for six, six, seven years, somewhere around there at the time. Mm-hmm. So it kind of landed at this perfect moment of everyone knows IDW is doing licensed stuff and out of nowhere, here comes, this creator own book that kind of that kind of checks a lot of boxes of what you associate with IDW, but then brings in new stuff to it. And I think that that was part of what drove the book. So uh, for, for city of giants, uh, you've brought in uh, Sebastian, Sebastian Paris uh, to do the art. Uh, how does it feel to be, you know, sharing your world with uh, another artist besides, you know, doing variant covers? We have to <laughs> shitty. I, yeah, I love Sebastian, but it, it's a it's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> no, and then from I, my I, perspective, I'm like, I, I write the scripts and, and they come back beautiful, and so fantastic. I think he's doing a great job. I know it's it's hard for Drew to sort of step back and you know be supervising art rather than being down in the trenches and actually making it. But the flip side of it is he's actually down in the trenches making it right now. And that's, you know, doing Canto 3. And that's exactly why we brought Sebastian in, was to give the opportunity to work ahead on um, Canto 3 uh, for those six issues. And also have more Canto content, which I think is uh, great. The one fun part about this is it's going to be the first time I get to actually read Canto issues. I, I've read the scripts, obviously, and I've I've seen the art, but you know I kind of have to blow through the PDFs when they're in approval because I I just I don't have the time right now. Mm-hmm. Um, when the book comes out, it's going to be the first time that I'll really get to sit down with it, and that that's going to be nice to be like, okay, I get to see what everybody else is kind of experiencing with this book, so that that'll actually be kind of nice throws it across the room just pure fury <laughs> this is not canto <laughs> now sebastian has done an amazing job yeah. he's done colors and art and you know the reason why I, I identified him early on i love his artwork and i love his posts on instagram and, and twitter uh especially his fan art and and that sort of thing he does some amazing spider-man and spider gwen and all these great things and i I don't remember if he actually did a Canto fan art, 
but we asked him to do a concept for Canto and he almost had the design right, you know, he almost nailed it right away. Yeah. It was just mm -hmm. a couple of revisions and Canto seems simple to design, but Drew can, Drew can attest to this. It's, it's difficult. We've got artists for covers and they're, they're, they find it challenging. They struggle. To, to get the right proportions and the right head size and the right body size and all these things. Um, Sebastian had it right away. And, you know, the pages that come through just ha have been, they feel so much like it's Kanto's world. So you'll be able to tell mm -hmm. it's a different artist from Drew, but it feels like it fits. It feels like bringing in, you know, uh, you know TMNT 102, you bring in a new artist for six issue arc or four mm -hmm. issue arc or whatever. It still feels like TMNT. It's just a different style. And that's ultimately my goal with City of Giants is to show, look, you know, Drew Drew does all of the, the main issues. And if we have guests come in and do different ones, it's still going to feel like Canto and it's still going to be our book. Um, it just expands the world a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You talk about that design right there and I'm kind of curious when you made that initial design what was the process when it came to Kanto's face mm -hmm. because it seems with a, a, a main protagonist since so much of his face is fixed he can only emote really through the eyes uh, what was the thinking there um I, drawing faces was like the number one thing that I struggled with. Uh, and I, I still, I still struggle with it. I, I have dozens of sketchbooks that are just endless face studies. It's hard for me. I, I don't know why, but it's the one thing I struggle with. The thing I don't struggle with is body language. Um, so it was partly it, it was partly out of challenge to myself, but it was also the head was very much designed with the idea that make something that if I do whatever angle I do it from that angle can then, even though it's a static, you know, object, that angle can adjust the emotion that you get out of it. So he very particular, the, the mouth grate uh, is very particularly curved upwards to be a smile almost so that if you push it up or push it down, you can cheat it or you can, from different angles, you can get different, um, different lines from it to give different emotions out of the mouth. And then the eyes were all about putting a dark area around the eyes, just the center on them so that you could get more of that emotion out of him, or at least the reader would focus on them. Who is the artist who never drew feet? Was it Liefeld? Oh, <laughs> yep. It's true. Kanto exists in this world because Drew hates faces. <laughs> That's the very, I mean, we've been working on this for like three years now. That's the very first time I ever heard you say you drew him in a mask because you didn't want to draw his face, which is great. Yeah. I thank you. I thank you so much for that. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, beyond beyond the, uh, the the face or, or or the eyes and the mask, you know, you you use all kinds of, of splashes, double page spreads, you know, layouts that convey how small Kanto is in the face of this fantasy world full of giants and towers and and, and beasts. <clears throat> 
but also plenty of, of nine panel grids and pages where you're zooming in on Kanto and his reactions to things. You know, what, what's a page that you drew early on in the series where, you know, you were finished, when you were finished, you looked at it, smiled and were like, nailed it. Every single one. <laughs> uh, I probably mean, the, the, the end of issue one. Yeah, I was gonna. That's that's what I was gonna say. They, they, I I sold that. I sold that page recently. Yeah, I, I sold that. And the guy that bought it is a huge fan, and he's in love with it. But we had a long conversation about it, and I hadn't seen that the original art for that page for probably about two years. It was just sitting in a portfolio until it got bought. And like looking at it, I remember specifically that the script didn't really have much in the way of detail as to what was supposed to be there. It was just, we see the big, the big world. And that was kind of it. And I, I, had, I remember asking David, do you have anything specific that you want in there? And the answer was no, kind of just go do your thing. And that page, there are elements in there that have maybe made appearances back in and, or we haven't really gone back to yet, mm-hmm. but that page is kind of so perfectly encompasses just the creativity from my end and from from david's end of just like okay let's just go wild with this character and see what it what comes back with it mm-hmm. you know it's such an interesting double page spread too because <clears throat> you know we play up the canto's tiny size a lot huge. You know, in city of giants in city of giants it's all about you know you'll find out the story is all about what what essentially what makes you a giant and um, that page, I, I just love, Drew does so many great perspectives where Kanto is going out on this great big adventure in this huge world and he's this tiny little character, but it sort of shows his heart because he is just prominent as heck in that double page spread right there in the foreground. Mm-hmm. And so you have this tiny little character, but in perspective, he looks like he can actually face this world and he can actually complete his quest. And I think that reflects a little bit of his mentality when he starts out after that first issue going out on his, you know, big adventure. He can handle this. He can do it. Look how big he is. <laughs> um, one thing I was curious about from that first volume, uh, who, whose dog is the, uh, the Malarex based on? Because uh, he, he may look like a flying pig demon, but that is a very good boy. Flying pig demon. I've never heard that. He's a hundred percent a flying pig demon. Right. Ironically, it's my dog, and one of one of her many nicknames is Piglet. Because she she will if she gets really excited, she'll start she'll start oinking. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's he's he's all dogs. That that Malorax is kind of is Ripley and my dogs and sort of all dogs. We um. The relationship was kind of modeled a bit after Calvin and Hobbes. So kind of that, that Mm -hmm. sense gets in there. It was our, he, the Malarex is our Toto for this story, but I knew with the size and Kanto's size and playing that up that we didn't, we couldn't have a, I didn't want a little, a little creature. Mm -hmm. I wanted a big burly muscly creature that's going to fight to the death for this little, night and vice versa so 
there's this, you know, this little this scene in, in issue three of that first arc where he sort of runs up the back of the Malarex and he stands up there with his axe and he's like, <laughs> I may be small, but look at him. <laughs> so. The size thing came in, I remember, came in really late with the Malarex because we originally had him actually smaller than Cantel. Mm. Um, and it's what I've got, but, I've got... Yeah, like on his shoulder. I, I have pages and pages, and it looks like uh, one of those evolution charts. And you can see him going through the, the different stages that we went through to get there. Uh, and then eventually he just, I, I don't even remember how we got there, but he just ended up bigger than, than Canto. And it was like, I did a little Canto in the Malarex. I was like, uh, yeah, this, this works. I think I just told you I want like a man bear pig or something. You're like, all yeah, right, probably. I'll do it. <laughs> it's like a lion well, he, bear, it, lion bear. It, it, if Canto is hard to draw, he is the impossible one that no one can figure out because I'm the only one that knows what the combination of animals he actually is and where they, they're meant to connect. <laughs> Poor Sebastian. I, I wrote him into, into City of Giants. And don't 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 anybody tell him this, but I definitely minimized the number of panels that he would have to be in, so that Sebastian wouldn't have to figure out how to. There's still panels where he's in, and he does a great job with it. But I'm like, if I made this guy draw three pages of panels full of this Malarex, he's gonna boycott this gonna book quit. and just walk away. <laughs> So I was good to you, Sebastian. If you're listening, I was good to you. He, he's admittedly very hard to draw if you don't have the reference in your head of what you're meant to be looking at. Mm -hmm. Because I, for me, I, I understand completely what his, what his like resting stance is and what his standing up stance is. So I, I, kinda, I get very much how he moves in motion, but it is weird. It is a very strange combination. Now, when when you knew that Sebastian was going to be, you know, doing this series, were there like character model sheets uh, or or anything you're able to share with him beyond, you know, the 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 books themselves? Obviously, we, we more sink or, or swim, Dan. We more or less in the books because they have so much of what he was going to need in them, and it was kind of like okay go through this, see how you feel, send me. I, the one thing we need to see is Canto, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Mm -hmm. um, I he didn't, didn't ask one... for a lot, did he? He didn't ask for a no, lot. No, he didn't. He, he after the books, because I think he knew. Yeah, he figured it out for the most part. I've had to go in and give him a few pointers on things here and there, and I ended up ultimately designing uh, the big bad for City of Giants, but outside of that, um, he's been pretty, you know, he, he more or less had everything he needed. The, 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 the curse of me is I draw so detailed that he didn't really need character sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Sebastian's listening. He's like, they would have sent me reference about my yes. <laughs> Those jerks. <laughs> yeah, I know the big bad is awesome. I'm sure, I don't know if you guys have seen the solicits for issue three, which is, I'm currently in pre-orders right now, mm. but it is um, something to behold. Okay. Poor little Canto. I'm sure he'll be fine, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there's two more series coming at least. So I know. We, che we cheated and told everybody there's more series coming, so you know he's going to be okay. 
I designed that big bed and felt really bad for Sebastian. Because <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not going to have to draw it. this. <laughs> but he, he did a great, he's done a great job. We've seen, obviously, um, issue two is, is done with the art. And you see the big bad at the end of that um, issue. And it's, it's pretty great. Stay tuned. Order issue two. If you think issue one is good, let's double those pre-orders for issue two, right? The dream. That's the dream. Unattainable dream. <laughs> so, no, that was that actually happened in the, the first arc, but we could talk about that. Oh. Anyway, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> uh, this arc, am I, Mike? that I got a kind of Greek mythology vibe off some of this. I mean, the helmets on the giants and the the king and queen of the giants have this sort of Olympian vibe and then a labyrinth on the cover of issue two that all seems to kind of scream we're playing in that wheelhouse for this art. Yes? Uh, you get a little bit. I mean, we're ma- we're we're making it up as well. So. As much as you're, you know, as much as you kind of take the best of other different things to create yeah. your world. We we steal from everywhere. Um, oh my that, god! That's sort of that's sort of the fun of Canto is that like the uh, the the Clockwork Witch from Clockwork Fairies. She's based around the Baba Yaga. Uh, <laughs> legend and not not john wick which is you know <laughs> sorry sorry world john with bob if you knew what baba yaga was it is not nearly as impressive but like when i david put baba yaga into the script so i went i i looked it up and was like so it's a witch with a house that has literal chicken legs chicken coming legs. out of it why is this a thing? Okay. <laughs> so that that's how we got to the design on her though, was that all right, well I'm not I'm not giving her this house, but she carries around buckets with her or a bucket with the uh the grinding uh stick. So that's where uh the witch has all the buckets on her back to carry around all these parts and the grinding stick is her staff and then the legs are uh sort of based around robotic chicken legs. And it's like okay, I we can we can take the idea here and like filter it through Cantho's universe, and that's sort of what sure. we've been doing. Is whenever we have to pull something out of uh, another mythology or you know culture, that kind of thing, it's just put it through the lens of Cantho and let's see what comes out the other end. Yeah, there are no new stories. There's just different storytellers, right? Um, you know, it's a. I, I, it's so interesting that you mentioned that uh, uh, for City of Giants, because you know it's probably in the back of my mind. For Canto Three, we're really leaning into another uh, realm of not mythology necessarily, but history surrounding the Vikings. So we'll be seeing a lot more of that influence as Canto goes to a different part of the unnamed world for a new quest all leading toward um confronting the shrouded man for good um and now aside from oz and you know feel free to toss in some oz talk in here as well david um what are some of your other personal literary touchstones um i was 
pleasantly surprised that the first volume wraps up with a quote from the Divine Comedy, and you've clearly said that uh, Inferno and such are a big influence here. And the most re- that first issue of City of Giants has a quote from Gulliver's Travels, and the the Emerald Tower uh, from Volume One. I mean, it doesn't just strike me as the Emerald City, but also the the questing tower that Roland Deschain sought in Stephen King's Dark Tower. Yeah, I mean, especially with what I'm is waiting. Oh my mind! Oh my god! Steve, uh, did you never pick up on that? That that's <laughs> yes, of course, but nobody else does. Well, I mean, it's, um, it's also what's waiting at the top of the tower is not what was. Oh my god! Expected. You read it's it absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the re, the, I mean, I am a, I'm a giant, gigantic King fan, and that the Dark Tower. Oh, Matt, oh Matt, it's <laughs> off camera. My entire shelf right here. These shelves keep going, and this is all of my Stephen King books. Nice. It's literally. Do you want me to move my computer? I'll show you right now. <laughs> we believe uh, you. We, we, I, <laughs> okay. I trust you, but I'm just geeking out. I'm just <laughs> geeking out. Oh yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. It's it's that influence and you know getting to the end of your quest and it not being what you what you sought out. Emerald City, obviously, Emerald Tower, uh, Lord of the Rings, is a big influence mm-hmm. on us. Um, yeah, it's all sort of sneaks in there. All that fantasy sneaks in there and putting it together, you know, in a different way, putting the pieces together in a way that feels new, feels new, and also familiar. And all the, you know, all the references, all the influences, as you mentioned, including, including Dark Tower, which I'm, 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 th- for the second, I'm through Wizard of Glass for the sec, Wizard of Glass for the second time. So I've read them all, reading them all again. So I need yeah, to go back because I reread one, I reread through Wizard and Glass right before Wolves of the Kala came out because I read Wizard and Glass when it came out, and then there was that seven-year interminable gap in between books four and five, where I every, think I yeah, all of the novel, like a bunch of the the non-Dark Tower novels that just had little hints and bits and pieces like Insomnia and Black House and Hearts in Atlantis all came out in that intervening time where he was just like, we just, I'll give you just a little bit here and a little bit Bread there cards. and a little bit here. And I'll get to it eventually. It's like, <laughs> tell me. Yeah, I ended up, I ended up, I hadn't read, I read Stephen King, you know, every book that came out, except I didn't read the Dark Tower books until Wolves of the Kala came out. And so I started at the beginning and read and was able to read that. I didn't have the seven year wait, uh, thankfully. (laughs) But yes, so Kanto sort of lives in all of those worlds and all those worlds sort of live in Kanto as influence and inspiration for, uh, you know, the fantasy epic tale that we want to tell. The, I, I really loved the ending of volume one. Uh, finding hope in what seems to be a hopeless is a theme that's not just timeless, but really timely, uh, especially as we're hopefully knock wood, maybe seeing the end of the tunnel on this pandemic as other problems continue to swirl around us. Uh, did you expect that theme to resonate as well as it does now, I mean, Lord knows nobody expected all of this madness, but. 
Um, we never we we didn't expect any of this, honestly. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's hard. It's you know, it's hard to. You're so nervous as a creator when you put out a book. You have no idea if it's going to work or it's not going to work. We loved it. We loved this story. We loved this character so much. And so to see it um, t take on its own life outside of us and to have people read into it, things that we intended, things we didn't intend, didn't intend, things we never even occurred to us. Um, but I think we always had that idea of hope when there was, when there seemed to be none because we made that choice, right? Drew, we made that yeah, choice I mean, about that ending. Yeah, it, my whole thing with this was, and this was even before David was with the book, was that it was meant to be a, an all ages book, or at least in the, the visual appearance would appear all ages but it it wouldn't pander to the all ages, you know, to, to younger kids. The idea was to put it, you know, deal with themes and trust that, the, that a kid is smart enough to figure out what we're trying to do. We're obviously not lobbing heads off here. But, you know, I, I'm a huge believer that, you know, young people and kids in particular, they understand more than a lot of adults are willing to give them credit for. They may not get everything that you're throwing at them, but I, I think that if you, if you steer too far away from kind of scaring them a little bit, then you just sanitize the stories and they take nothing away from it and they forget about it. Mm -hmm. David and I went back and forth over that ending. Um, he, he, he was nervous about it and I had to kind of be like, no, Trust me on this. If we're going to fail, we're going to fail big. Let's do it. And it worked. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much where we were. It was like, well, sink, again, sink or swim. This is what it is. This is the story. It's paid off 100%. We have friends that come up to us and tell us, oh, I'm, I'm reading it with my kids. I asked them, what do you want to read tonight? And they tell me the one about the brave, the brave guy. You know, it. <laughs> It, they they get it and that was so completely what the intention was you know if you're an 80s baby you were raised on never-ending story the original tmnt the, these things are dark they are really dark and the world if anything is more complicated and worse off than it ever was growing up so if all you do is feed them sanitized media that they don't learn anything from, that they're not able to associate, you know, into their own lives subconsciously, then you've done no favors for anyone. And that's part of where I think the attraction to Canto is, is that it, it, the story itself refuses to kind of pander down to anybody, but you're able to bring in such a wide range of ages into what we're doing. I think when you read the book for the first time, and if you know nothing about it, you'd certainly expect that he's going to find the heart. Yeah. He's going to find the heart at the end. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he, and, and I knew, I knew when we were writing it and drawing it, I just thought, I can't, you're going to see it from a mile away from page five. When we talk about them yeah. getting their hearts taken away, 
you're going to see that he's going to go and get their hearts back and it's going to just wrap up and it's, he's going to succeed. And I thought we can't, we can't, we have to surprise the reader, but at the same time, not sort of, you know, let the reader fall in love with this character only to give a, you know, horrible ending to the character. So what was, what, what do you do? And so we landed on this idea that you might set out for, for one goal. And even though you don't achieve that, you might achieve something greater. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, <clears throat> I hope that's what kids take away from it when they read it. It's you, you set out to do something and you do it. And if you think you failed, you just have to look at it differently. You have to think about it differently because you, you may not have failed at all. You may have achieved something um, even better than you thought you could. So uh, we did that on purpose. I always like to, when I, when I think we're coming, you know, when I think I'm, I'm putting together something that's predictable, I like to do a, a 180, mm-hmm. flip it on its head. It's like, if I, think this, if I think this is predictable, if I do the exact opposite of it, it's probably not going to be predictable. Uh, and so, you know, we've done that. I try to do that in all, you know, all my stories. I don't know if I always succeed, but I sure feel like at the end of Canto number one, you're definitely not expecting that to happen. The best ending to Canto one story that I've got is, spoilers for anyone that hasn't read it, uh, when, uh, the, when the statue reveals that the shrouded man was the knight, mm-hmm. we sent those pages off to Vittorio, the colorist, and I guess Vittorio hadn't seen the script yet because the only email we got back was, holy shit! Our <laughs> <laughs> colorist. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess Vittorio hasn't, hasn't read the script yet. Whoops. <laughs> I had a, and I did, I had a, I actually had a lot of nervousness putting in that whole, like, meta story about the, the night. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and as, as I ended up writing the script, it, that's what ended up giving us the, the I think, really great wrap-up in issue six and the surprise and how it all sort of tied together and, you know, Canto 2, The Hollow Men, and then through Canto 3 and 4. It's sort of a, our, our story is sort of a, a greater story about um, storytelling and how we we take... That's so. That's what I guess. I'm going to be such a nerd right now. That's what came. What came out of Canto Number One is that everybody takes what they need from a story, and Canto took what he needed from the story of the night, even though it ended up being wrong. And I think that's what Canto is ultimately going to be all about. It's about how how we use story to serve the purposes that we need it for. and we're going to see that theme sort of uh, unfurl as we go along in Lionhearted and then Canto 4. And then, you know, the, the, the 50 years after that, the 400 more Canto issues that we're going to do. <laughs> Till the series becomes unprofitable. Um, <laughs> was there... Was there... <laughs> Never! <laughs> A pox on you, Dan. Listen, it all, it all goes circular. Spawns back to being popular again. All right? <laughs> Just have to wait twenty years. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there was there a moment that was like the first time that you realized that you guys had a hit on your hands or were generating the kind of buzz that you'd hoped for when you were first conceiving of it? Oh my, my goodness, Dan, we knew 
right away how amazing we were going to be. Come on. That's good confidence, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Jake, <laughs> joking. We had so much nervousness about this. I think IDW did, too. I think at one point, John Barber said they didn't even know. They just liked the story and liked the art. They didn't. They had no idea what was going to happen to it. So it was kind of a... Is this San Diego? Well, it was before that. It was a rich tapestry, rich tapestry, Dan, of um, anxiety and glimmers of hope, I guess. So we went in pre-orders and then, you know, two and a half months, two months or whatever. Nobody heard about it. Uh, we did the announcement. Drew and I were like, um, not allowed to talk about it. So sure, we'll, we'll see what happens, right? And then a couple of people started picking it up and they picked it up on the, the great cover image. It's um, right here, right there. Sorry. All right. It's okay. <laughs> there you go. It's been a long day. It's been a long full day. Um, uh, they started picking up on the cover image and they really liked that. And then the story started resonating. And then, you know, some folks uh, podcasted about it, did, did some YouTube videos and so it started picking up a little steam. Uh, and then I knew that something was up Tuesday before it was supposed to come out on Wednesday. Uh, look, our pre-orders, this, this is all, all, every comic speculator and investor knows this mm -hmm. 6,300, which is nothing, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's good, but it's not like blow it out of the water, you know, 50,000, 25,000, mm -hmm. 6,300. So it wasn't like huge. Um, the Tuesday before it went on sale on Wednesday, uh, Nerdist did a did a piece on what was coming out on Wednesday, and it was Marvel, Marvel, DC, Canto, and they only did four books, and Canto was one of them. They're like, "Oh, you you shouldn't miss this," and I and I got a I, I have a, a close friend of mine works in entertainment, and she messaged me and she said did you see this she saw it on her own and mm -hmm. and that i think was when she's like holy sh uh that's when i i thought okay brace yourself <laughs> and then wednesday came out and wednesday morning i went to a shop and i signed a stack of first print cantos they had probably 15 or 20 and i signed the stack and i just remember thinking boy i sure hope they sell, they can sell all these. And then I did a signing at 5 p.m. on that Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And the shop that I went to had pulled all of the first prints off of the shelf and had marked them up behind the, behind the counter because people were coming in and buying stacks of five and 10 to have them, seeing mm -hmm. what was happening on like eBay and stuff. And so by the get, beginning of the day, we had a lot of hope. And by the end of the day, it was like Kanto. We we set out with a certain goal, and boy, did we experience something that was completely different. And then San Diego Comic Con 2019 rolled around and drew. So we we were it was signing. All right. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, we were signing after uh, Joe Hill and uh, Gabe Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. So, and I think Walt Simonson was signing on the table next to us. So right. I saw the rundown and went, oh, this is great. We we just got sandbagged. Uh, <laughs> you're you're going to get like three people. You're going to get like 20 people in line that are going to think that me and him are Joe and Gabe. 
Uh, we're going to stick. Gonna, we're going to yeah, stick yeah. issues of Kanto inside lock and key. And, and the rest signing. of them are going to be. The rest of them are going to be coming up to us like we work at the booth and be like, "Is this the line for Walt Simonson?" Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can imagine our surprise when we sat down and there is a line that goes around the booth. Before and we got I'm there, like, right? I was like, "Is this has to be for Joe and Gabe?" And nope. It turns out it wasn't. It was for us, and it was just – it was one of those things that, like, as a creator, you always dream about having that happen, and you never think it's actually going to happen. And I'm sitting there just going, holy shit. I got goosebumps. This is real. I just remember we had tons of friends that were at the show. They were like, come to our signing, come to our signing. And they're all sort of standing over in a little cluster, and they're like, what? Where? Why did you need us to come to this? Yeah, <laughs> like, we're getting in the back of the line for what do we do? We, we, like, we had no idea, no clue. Um, it, it was it was insane. That that was my first time meeting John Barber, and we're signing, and I'm just like at IDW, ah! and yeah. and John comes up to me, he's like, "Hi, I'm John." I'm like, "I have no idea what the hell is happening to my life right now." <laughs> yeah, I think that and San Diego that, variant cover. Um, sold out on preview night in six minutes. And so it was, it was a whirlwind. And then of course, as these, as these stories go, 2020 happens. Yeah. We were all ready to have a great San Diego 2020. And then, yeah, here we are. So hopefully 2022 for San Diego Comic-Con. I know they're doing the little smaller event in the fall, but we'll see. I think, you know, we had the, the, the news. I don't know. I'm sure you guys saw. I don't know if you did um, about the Canto movie adaptation. So, yes. yeah. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm excited to see, to be able to get out there and talk to the readers and talk to fans again. We've done, done tons of interviews and, you know, we talk on social media and all those things, but it's never quite the same then as sort of rubbing elbows at the bar. Mm-hmm. And just talking to people and geeking out about stuff and just being out there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, what do you feel like you've learned, uh, both of you've learned about making comics between that first Canto series and now? That could literally fill a book. Everything, and I, honestly. And, yeah. And I had eight years of making comics beforehand and the last two have been, full crash course in a way that I, I could never have imagined. A huge part of it is that we manage the pro the creative process on Canto. Our editor, David oversees, oversees it and he's our liaison with the publisher, but we're putting to, you know, I'm writing the scripts. I'm giving them to Drew. He's doing all the layouts. He's doing all the, the pencils and inks. And then we give it to Vittorio and he does all the colors and, you know, then, then Darren and, and Ann World Design, they do all the great lettering. And so by the time it gets to David, uh, our editor in that process, we have basically put together a full issue. And oftentimes, I mean, he'll read the scripts first mm-hmm. and he'll see. And, and I think he sort of watches in the background. He's got access to all our files and everything. But we basically hand him a um, completed issue that we've put together. And I've learned about that process, about schedule, timing, how long things take, um, 
I, the technical aspects, which I don't, 95% of it, I don't understand. And I just, you know, it's 95% of my understanding is hope that other people know what they're doing. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of a fun challenge, but yeah, it's all about production. Mm -hmm. uh, I've personally learned about story watching reactions. We've had um, 12 issues of Canto now and seeing mm -hmm. readers reactions. I've actually written a couple of things into city of giants which are direct responses to <laughs> reader uh, commentary, just general commentary. Okay. So <laughs> it's been fun to do that. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Okay. <clears throat> uh, okay. So uh, we get, we did get a couple, well, we get, we did get a couple of Twitter questions. Uh, actually one of the questions I, 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 borrowed lovingly uh, from somebody that I saw on Twitter, but uh, past guest and friend of the show, Liana Kangas asked, uh, how to not cry while reading Canto asking for a friend. <laughs> Didn't she ask us this and I had some really she, snarky response to it? Yes. I, uh, <laughs> yes. Well, it's just, I mean, if you responded, it was snarky. We'll just leave it there. Um, I remember I, being I mean, a good one. <laughs> I mean, if you're one of those people who maybe doesn't have that heart, maybe Canto will help you find it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I, I, I would say go ahead and cry. That, that, that's the whole point. Let it out. Let it Feel loose. those feelings, yeah. Just soak that trade paperback. Ruin those single issues that you're reading right now. Cry on your iPad if you're digital. Just do it. It's waterproof. It's just and then go it. buy more when you realize that you've ruined your trade paperback. <laughs> Done. There you go. Uh, problem solved. Uh, and now uh, our other uh, Twitter question: uh, Asimov Fangirl asks uh, if Kanto could have a day off or a vacation, you know, uh, apart from questing, what would he do? I would say so go for a swim, but he'll drown. <laughs> Poor guy. We already tested that. <laughs> We had, you know, it's so funny. I have this idea. I think Drew and I have actually talked about it. Doing a kid's picture book called Canto and his Malarex. Mm. And it would just be a day out with Canto having fun, his day off. And he and the Malarex just go and they have an adventure. Um, a little adventure, maybe an unintentional one. Uh, but that's what he would do. I think he would yeah. go out there and he would enjoy the world as it is. Um, that he lives in because, you know, for generations and generations they've not been able to do that mm -hmm. i really want to do a one shot of uh, a day in the life of the malarex oh that's the one we were thinking of the day in the yeah. life of the malarex and just do was was it a hawkeye episode yeah or, the, uh, it, it, it would be similar to the pizza dog uh pizza issue. dog episode love it issue <laughs> that's fantastic um so yeah, I mean, we talked we talked about you know cons in the absence of them uh, a, a little bit, but you know, given given that you know, what has promoting Canto looked like this past year? Because obviously, you know, you're you're, you're not going to get that that line that you think is Walt Simonson, but but is actually mm -hmm. for you uh, just yet. Uh, you know, how are you kind of preaching the gospel of of your little clockwork night in the in the yawning void of the internet? I was going to say, scream into the abyss, Dan. Just scream into the abyss. Retweet, 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 retweet. So social media. Mm -hmm. uh, 
this exact configuration of Windows on Zoom. We've done this, you know, a time or two. So mm -hmm. that's been really helpful. Uh, Collector's Paradise in Pasadena, California, which is very close to where I live, um, does a signature series. So that's been really helpful to get uh, fans copies of Canto 2, the Hollow Men, all five mm -hmm. of them signed uh, from me without being able to do the in-person signings. We, I think we have the good fortune, if there is any good fortune to be had, that this pandemic happened, if this would have happened in 2019, the Cantor would be totally different. Mm -hmm. yep. We had the opportunity to, to launch this character uh, before we went on lockdown. So it became a familiar face for people, became a whole lot easier to promote it knowing that people, you know, readers already understood in some fashion who he was. Mm -hmm. So I think that has been absolutely the key is to have established this character first and then been able to hopefully bring a little happiness to folks, you know, cooped up inside mm -hmm. until we can get out. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, you mentioned it before, uh, it has been optioned for, for adaptation, uh, you know, You're, you're you you have David especially you have a foot in both both comics and film, you know. What is now that this has been announced and and you know obviously miles miles to go uh, from then to now. What is your kind of you know expectations? I I guess you know from this point because I imagine this is you know a very slow burn process. You know, we see adaptations that get picked up and then, you know, they, 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 we forget about them after a while, obviously, you know, where, where are you, where are you guys at kind of with, with this whole thing? Just waiting for that fame and fortune just to get dropped right in our laps. <laughs> you sit back and you're just like, let us I shower one option. I, 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 already got <laughs> I already bought a pool to fill with coins. <laughs> Hey Clark Griswold. It, it's um, sitting in it's sitting in the courtyard of my apartment building. My super's like you're an asshole. Get rid of this thing. And you're like, you just wait. I'm gonna buy the building. Yeah. Not moving the pool. I'm buying the building. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Exactly. So uh, you're you're right. It's it's a you know long process. I think both Drew and I are very much of the mindset that we're very very optimistic that we're going to be able to get it across the finish line. Westbrook is an incredible partner. They have incredible relationships to everyone um, who, who could really help move Kanto forward in film. And I think, and you know, I, I, I hear you, their options come and go and things get optional all the time. And sometimes it's just to take it off the table or sometimes it's, you know, to sit on it and just, you know, two years go by, three years go by and nothing happens. Uh, it's going to take time. But I, I really feel in my gut, and I've learned to sort of trust my gut, that the reason why we were so excited to partner with Westbrook is because I think in this marathon, they will, um, they will be able to take it. We'll, we'll take it together, those 26.2 miles, and just get it over the finish line. So I am very... Yeah. Happy! I'm very excited. 
and especially we get to be involved creatively, which yeah. is so they, incredible. Westbrook's been awesome for us. They, they, you know, at no point in any conversation that we had with them mm-hmm. was there the impression that this is being bought just to be bought. They, they wanted it because they believed in it, they liked it, and they wanted to see it go go the distance. It's not just going there, you know, for a press release. And I I think that's that's been really helpful for us that everyone has kind of this singular direction that they want to head in with it. And you know, things will obviously change from book to movie, it always does, but as every with everybody at least pointed the right way, it it really it it feels like a really good partnership. Yeah, and in the meantime, we're you know we're involved in that process, and we're also you know have our heads down, and we are just doing doing everything that we possibly can to put out more issues of Kanto that people are enjoying. So, uh, you know, it's, it helps a lot that we didn't have you know it wasn't just the the first story arc that gets options that starts going down the film path. And then we're here just waiting for that to happen or, mm-hmm. you know, hitting the pavement, trying to do something new or something different. We both get to continue making Canto just as they're continuing to make Canto and film. Mm-hmm. So that's been really, I, I think, I mean, Drew's working so hard right now that it's like, you can't even really think about, think about that aspect of it because we're just trying to make yeah. comics. We're just trying to make comics. I, I forget about it 90, 95% of the time until there's an email or something. I, it, it's one of those things that when the good news comes, you're happy to see it, but it, it's easier to kind of put it out of sight, out of mind, and let, uh, let the guys on that end work their magic. Because mm-hmm. I see that so many times with creators, they just, they just sort of go from tease, announcement, you know, vague tweet whatever and that's sort of how they find their value and their worth in the hope that you know they look like a lot of things are happening mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> just put your head down make it, your comics make good comics and i know it's it's a slow process but just just do it and let the things speak for themselves Right on. Well, uh, uh, you know, I'm definitely happy to hear hear the news and, and looking forward to more on that uh, in the future. Uh, in the meantime, uh, it, it's it's time for a fan favorite segment. Uh, it is time for Pet Corner. Uh, we 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 mentioned them a little bit earlier in the show, but uh, guys, tell us about your dogs. Well, Ripley steals the show, so yeah. go ahead. <laughs> Actually. Drew. Actually, here she comes. Oh, let me go find her. Oh, see, come see, here. I was come acting here. professional and put my dogs ah. outside of the room. Ah. <laughs> Ripley's come probably staring outside. at Drew ah. right there. Come on, um, you're going to be famous on the internet. <laughs> there you oh are. My oh, my gosh. That's the Malorex. There's the Malorex. <laughs> Ripley, they all want to say hi. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> I have my, my husband. My husband and I have two retired racing greyhounds. Oh, wow. Uh, we've had greyhounds for, um, God, almost 20 years now. Uh, just wonderful dogs. So they used to be re- former racers in um, Mexico and Caliente. And when they retired, 
they now just sleep around everywhere they can find a soft spot in our house. So that's beautiful. I can't. I mean, there's off of every spot she in the house. The one's like seventy pounds, so I wish I could lift him up and just present him to you. But <laughs> we'll have to settle. We'll have to settle for Ripley Piglet. <laughs> Ripley, uh, no, that's it. I'm getting at you. Okay. I mean, Dan, Matt, dogs. Uh, I have two. Uh, I, I've got uh, two miniature dachshunds, uh, Chewy and Lola. They're both upstairs. I, I can't show them off on the camera, but uh, every once in a while, uh, you, can, you can pick up uh, the faint sound of Chewy barking at absolutely nothing uh, <laughs> on mic. Uh, He's just episode. doing the ADR, dude. He's just <laughs> doing ADR for it. Making sure it's working. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, Matt, where's best tonight? We are a cat household. Uh, right next oh, to me is Bess, oh. who is our third co-host because no. she invariably finds her way up here during recording, which is sort of why I record from the bedroom. It lets my wife do things around the house and not possibly interfere. And because it means that Bess often will curl up sort of in between me and the laptop, which is why I keep the blankets up so the claws don't wind up getting in. But tonight she decided to just be a good girl and curl up next to me. And probably at this point downstairs by my wife is our other, our big boy, Cal, who's just this big, goofy, gangly boy. We, we adopt, we just adopted him less than six months ago okay. uh, he's 14 we, he was unadoptable because he was old and had kidney God. disease you guys waltzed and, in there and you're like we'll show you <laughs> well yeah exactly my wife saw a picture of him online that the shelter put up she's like no i want him he's got big eyes and looks lovable <laughs> and Aww. he Good. does indeed have big eyes and is very lovable as is Bess, although Bess is kind of a bully she needs to leave him. She's used to being queen of the castle. And now that she has to share, she's getting much better now after a few months. But Cal is still kind of jittery when she walks by. He's twice her size. He could eat her if he Wait. wanted. Wait until he realizes that. I don't think he Bess. will. He's not terribly bright. No, it's the, it's the big ones that are always afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what are you gentlemen reading right now? David, you have many, many, many shelves behind you. <laughs> it's all, as you can see, it's all just Canto. <laughs> I've, I've read these. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I am reading, um, I think I have my, I've got a bunch of Kickstarter rewards to, to read. Uh, in my stack, I am reading uh, uh, Hill House comics, the DC imprints. Mm -hmm. I'm reading Plunge. Which is Plunge kind of cool. Really it's, good. it's kind of a yeah, yeah. It's kind of a um, John Carpenter, The Thing, Lovecraftian. I'm only a issue and a half in, so who knows? There's, there's, it's scary stuff. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think for for books, I'm re actually reading a Joe Hill uh, short story uh, collection, and I'm rereading Lisey's story, Matt, by Stephen yeah. King, because it's going to be a series i want to say on hulu maybe hbo hbo yeah okay i think it's hbo with um of course you ask me oh 
and I don't remember who's going to be in it. I'm trying to remember myself. It's funny. We had a guest on ways back who did some, you know, not just comics, but some journalism and had written a 10 best Stephen King novels. And I, I was coming to say, and I said, in the one that, that surprised me on here, not because it's not great, but because it doesn't usually make these lists is Lisey's story. story. My golden age for Stephen King is the aughts. So, mm. Hmm. Uh, sell Lisey's story, Duma Key. Key. Uh, I'm looking at my shelf because they're all in chronological order. I'm trying to think. Uh, from a Buick 8, one yes. of my favorites of all time. Yep. So I'll uh, stop nerding out, you guys. And uh, <laughs> uh, a Colorado kid fits right in between from Buick 8 and Cell, not counting the dark, the, the three Dark Tower books that also drop in there. And yes, I will stop nerding out too. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll nerd out offline now. Yes. You guys know this is the comic podcast, right? Like, it's the whole point. <laughs> hey, I have a whole stack of Dark Tower comics. So I don't want to hear it. Down. I yeah. am all in, 100%. Uh, Drew? Yeah, Drew, how about reading? you? Uh, then my scripts. I am, I am in the middle of rereading uh, Ennis's uh, Punisher Max run, hmm. uh, which I haven't read in a, in a long time. Uh, and I am in the middle of Akira, and I'm wrapping up East of West. So I'm, I'm reading a few things at once. Good stuff. Uh, so, uh, gentlemen, it's been great. Uh, it's, it's been an hour. Uh, final question, how can people uh, follow you online, keep up with Kanto, and everything else you have going on? Uh, you can follow me on the socials at David Boer at Twitter at David M. Boer on Instagram. I'm on Facebook if you if, if that's more your style. Canto uh, is can, at Canto Comic on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we also signal boost all of Canto's posting, so you can follow. It's a rich tapestry, as I said earlier. You can follow <laughs> any and all of that. Uh, on Twitter, I am Drew underscore Zucker. On Instagram, I am Art of Drew Zucker. Uh, you can follow my official site is artofdrewzucker.com. And if you want to get really brave and get spied on at Facebook, uh, there's a Art of Drew Zucker uh, page over there. All right, David, Drew, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank Thanks you. for having us. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Chris's On Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at comicsxf.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at comicsxf.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash WMQcomics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Lan M from Lan's Vids, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the loyalist content consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, 
that one time Pete Wisdom stopped a vampire invasion from the moon. W-N-Q-A.